Hi, thanks for joining us online. We're glad that you've chosen to access this message. It's so encouraging to know that God is using the ministry of Portico Community Church to touch the hearts and lives of people all across the world. If you have a story to share or a prayer request, we would love to hear from you at info at porticocanada.ca. To support our ministry, you can donate online by clicking on the Donate button at the top right of your screen. Once again, we're so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this message from God's Word will deeply impact your life. Well, good morning. Welcome to Portico as we continue our series on the signs. And I want to say a special welcome to all of you who are watching online. And I understand that some of you in the overflow area, we hope that you will feel a part of this service. Now, let me ask you guys a question right off the bat. Is it just me? Or do you feel like society has, like, trust issues? Yeah? Sometimes the simplest of transactions requires a mountain of paperwork. It used to be so much simpler. And I'm going to give away my age to some of the younger folk. Back in my day, right? Now, how many of you have bought a home, like, ever? You've bought a home. Let me see your hands. Okay? Everybody else is renting. Okay. How many have ever bought a home? Let me see your hands. Do you remember how many papers you had to sign? Do you remember how how many times you had to sign at the bottom and how many of those little circles you had to initial? And then God forbid there was a counter offer. And they came back with more circles and then you had to initial those circles. I almost had carpal tunnel syndrome by the time I got the keys to my house. And then you had to go to the lawyer's office and sign more papers there. And everybody wants to protect themselves for the simple transactions and even for the bigger ones. Man, times sure have changed. Now, I remember when my, when my parents bought their first new car in the 70s. You know, and my parents were first-generation immigrants. There's a lot of you who are first-generation, and, and your parents were first-generation If you were able to buy a new car, that meant that you had made it. I mean, you got a new car, you had made the big time. It didn't matter what it was. And I remember uh, my dad used to drive around to all of his brother's houses with his new car. And you know what? It wasn't a show-off thing because when they got a new car, they did the same thing. It was kind of like, wow, look at what we've been able to accomplish. We left our home countries. We came here and look what we've been able to do in Canada. Now, I remember when he bought the car, he went to this dealership, and it's still there. I won't give away the name, but it was on Dufferin Street, which is a bit of a Portuguese area, if you know the area. And if you were a first-generation immigrant from Portugal, you had to buy your car from this guy, because that's where everybody went. And deals were done in the parking lot. You would talk about the car, you'd set it on the price, you'd shake a hand, grab a coffee, sign a document or two, and that was it. You were out the door. But times have definitely changed. Now, has anybody here tried to hire a contractor recently? Anybody in the last last few months or few years? Yeah, it's it's an ordeal. When I had my own company and I had to give out quotes and contracts, it was so much simpler, at least it seemed that way. Today, you you finally get a guy to come because you make an appointment and then they don't show because there's a reason. And then they finally do make it And they always give you a window. I'm going to make it from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. sometime. And 8.45, they show up. You're like, oh, bless the Lord. That's great. (laughs) Then they show up, and they get out their tape measures. And you know he's good if he has a pencil behind his ear. (laughs) 
That's a good contractor. And then they measure and they remeasure and they measure and they enter into their iPad and they take pictures of the room and then they go back and they enter some more data and then they say, okay, I'll email you the quote in a couple of weeks. And then the quote comes back and it's one page with a price, but it's five pages of like small print that you need to hire a lawyer for. Now, before I was a pastor, I actually had my own business. I was a contractor. I was a painter. And things were different in my time. The way I would get customers, I didn't have a website. I didn't have an algorithm. I didn't have even business cards. You know what I did? When I painted the house, I left a sign outside on the grass. And people would either knock on the door or they would wait for me to come out to the car and say, hey, would you come paint my house? Now, I'm going to give you a bit of a a mock conversation of how it would go. I'm going to play with it a little bit, but this is basically how it went. I would come out and somebody would say, hey, I need my house painted. I said, oh, I paint houses. How much to paint said house? I said, $2,000. Okay, I'll start on Monday. And the person would say, but I'm going on vacation, so here's the key to my house. So I would take key to said house, I would go and paint the whole house, and at the end of the job they would come, they would pay me, and then I would go home, and that was it. Now, I'm, I'm exaggerating the simplicity of the process a little bit, but actually not by much. So today we're talking about promises or keeping your word, and I thought before we get into, how, into the heavy nature of what a promise is and what are the promises that God has made to us, I thought, well, let's look at the definition of what an actual promise is, and it's very, very simple. It's a declaration or an assurance that one will do something or that a particular thing will happen. Have you ever had someone make you a promise and then break that promise? How did you feel when the people said, I swear on this and on that, and they swear on everything, on heaven and earth, and then they don't come through? How does that make you feel? What does that say to you about that person? Well, let me turn the tables a little bit. Have you, have I, have we ever broken a promise? Now today, there's all sorts of promises, and I'm going to go through a list with you of some of the most commonly broken promises. Promises that, guess what? We, we break. How many people remember making a pinky promise? Let me see. Anybody out there, you make a picking promise? To, to me, that was as good as a blood oath in my day. You gave a pinky promise, it's happening. It's a done deal, right? <laughs> well, there's actually all kinds of promises. So let's look at a few small examples that happen on a regular basis. And then we'll talk about why these promises get broken. And then we're going to dive deeper and look at the promises that God gives. And today we're going to look at three very extreme promises that God gave and what he did to make sure that they happened. Now, this has happened to every single one of us in some variation or another, but here's the gist of the encounter. You're at the supermarket, right? And you're buying your broccoli, you're buying your cauliflower, you're, you're getting your groceries, and then you hear, hey, Joe Amaral. We hear your name, I hope, not mine. <laughs> and you look, Oh my goodness, Tony, how are you? And then you spend a few minutes, you talk. Wow, it's been 30 years since high school. How are you? Oh, I'm married. I have this many kids. This is where I live. This is what I do. And then the big lie. We should get together soon. (laughs) Has that happened to anybody? 
The moment it comes out of your mouth, you know you're lying. They know you're lying. You don't want to get together. They don't want to get together, but you're saying it anyways. Right? You're laughing because it's happened to all of us. There's a reason why you haven't seen them in 30 years. We'll leave it at that. There's a lot of promises that we make, not just to other people, but even promises that we make to ourselves in the form of New Year's resolutions. Yeah, I'm going to go there. Because Pastor Dwayne talked about Christmas coming up real soon. Well, a week after Christmas, New Year's. And we've all made resolutions and we've all broken them. And some of us in record time. (laughs) What's the number one resolution that people make? I'm going to lose weight and get in shape. No, you're not. (laughs) Can we just be honest? No, we're not. Or then we'll say, I'm going to learn something new this year. No, we're not. We're going to be exactly the same this year as we were last year. That's just our human nature. And then another promise, a resolution that we make. No, seriously, this time I'm serious. This time I mean it. I'm going to eat healthier and go on a diet until the first family New Year's party. Oh, and -and so-and-so's cake. Okay, after this cake, I swear. You know, I'm going to get out of debt. I'm going to save money. I'm not going to buy frivolous things. And then the stuff we ordered on Black Friday comes in the mail. Oy. I'm going to spend more time with my family. I'm going to visit every cousin I have and spend time with them. I'm going to travel to new places. I'm going to see the world this year. No, you're not. You're going to go back to the same place you've been visiting for the past 30 years, to the same country, to the same house, see the same family, because that's comfortable for us. We tell ourselves we're going to volunteer, we're going to do all sorts of great stuff, we're going to change the world. And you know what? We always have the best of intentions, don't we? We really, really do. This is a good one. I promise I'm going to watch less TV this year, and I'm going to read more. No, you're not. One more that's a little more modern, and we tell this to ourselves all the time, I'm going to spend less time on Facebook this year. I'm not going to go on Instagram. I'm not going to go on Twitter. I'm not going to Snapchat. Some of you are Snapchatting right now. (laughs) This list of things. But why do we make these promises? But more importantly, why do we break these promises? (laughs) Well, When I was doing some research on on, on the power of promise, there's a whole psychology behind why we break promises, why we feel the need to make them, and what we go through when somebody breaks that promise, and what we go through when we break that promise. So I'm not going to get into the, the psychology of promise keeping or breaking, but I came across a really interesting quote. Now, I hadn't heard of this gentleman before, but when I read his quote, I thought, wow, i got to share this with the church because it really captures what we're trying to say today in looking at our ability to keep promises versus God's ability to keep promise. And there's a guy named Stephen Richards. He's an author. He's a producer. And he says this, that promises are only as strong as the person who gives them. Hmm, think about that. Is that true? Let me read it again. Promises are only as strong as the person who gives them. So it's like the quote says, because we are weak, so are our promises. That's why today we're looking 
at the one who is strong, the one who can keep not just any promise, but who can keep every promise he made. See, they are sure because he is strong. In fact, he's the only one strong enough to consistently keep his word. And so over the past few weeks, I've been teaching you, I hope, some some slogans that you've tried to integrate into your daily life. And the first one is, God loves you. Oh, come on. God loves you on purpose. God is with you always. And today, God keeps his promises to you. That's what we're going to learn by the end of this message. And if you take nothing away, that's the one line I want you to take is that God keeps his promises to me. And that's the message of hope as we move ahead. And if I were to ask you this morning, hey, do you trust God? You'd say, of course I trust God. You know, we say we trust God, but just in case God doesn't come through, we have a plan B. I trust you, but just in case on the off chance that you don't come through to me, I got a little nest egg that I've built up. I got a little something on the side just in case you don't come through. And as we look at the Bible today, we're going to see that it's one massive story. And it's wrapped up in thousands of these little mini narratives. And they have one overall message. And the message is this. It's our struggle as humanity wrestling with whether or not the Lord is a God who keeps his promises. And so the first week of the series, back on November 5th, I wore my beautiful orange suit. I was expecting applause, but that's okay. The first week of the series, we looked at this. Don't applaud now. It doesn't mean anything. Uh, The first week of this message, we looked at the signs and the stars. We saw how God went to incredible. um, He was so careful to make sure that we saw his message of salvation in the stars. And this Tuesday night, we're going to continue looking at story in the stars. Uh, two weeks running, we've had 300 plus people come out to the Bible study, and I got to tell you, I mean, can I actually encourage you guys to give yourselves a round of applause, over 300 people to a Bible study? That's incredible. And so on Tuesday nights, we're going to be looking at some of the signs that God has placed in the sky, and we're right out of the gate, no fillers, no announcements, we're going to go right for it, we're going to talk about a statement that Jesus made, where he said, I am the bright and morning star. So what is the bright and morning star? Where was it when he was born, when he was crucified, when he rose from the dead, and when he ascended into heaven? That's what we're going to talk about on Tuesday night. Now, I'm going to make you a promise. And I'm 0 for 1 on my promises in this church. Because I promised last year on a certain date that it wasn't going to snow anymore. (laughs) And it snowed. So I'm not going to make that promise. But I promise that I'm going to give away a free promise copy of my DVD, Story in the Stars. One person in this room is going to save 20 bucks. (laughs) You know how many coffees that is? Now, you see, it's so convenient you can carry in your pocket. Now, who does not have a copy of the film but would like a copy of the film? Oh, I saw Barry. Would you come up and hand this to Barry for me, please? Here you go, Barry. Hope you enjoy it, buddy. Who else would like a copy of the video? You can get them for 20 bucks on the back table (laughs) after the service. (laughs) 
<laughs> and so the second week, we looked at the signs of the times. We looked at the signs that God has given us, not just in the heavens, but in the world around us. And the reason why we talked about why he gave these signs is so that when we look at them, they remind us of what he said he was going to do. We don't use the constellations, right? We don't use the signs to predict things that are going to happen, but we use them to be reflective, to look back and see that God did what he said he was going to do. And today, we're looking at the signs of the promises of God. And here's, here's our statement for the morning. History teaches us that God makes and keeps extreme promises. Yes, he keeps the little promises. Yes, he keeps the small promises. But he's also a God who keeps the extreme promises. And that's what I want to look at at today. Because for some of us, God has given us a promise. Or there's a promise in the word of God that we've wanted it to apply to us. And we've been waiting and waiting and it hasn't happened yet. And some of us are starting to lose hope. Some of us are starting to lose faith saying, God, are you going to do what you said you're going to do? And I'm here to remind you that he is. That he is a God who makes and keeps extreme promises. So we're going to look at three, like, blow your mind extreme promises. And here's the first one. We're going to go right back to the beginning of the story. The story with Adam and Eve and the often forgotten serpent. We're going to talk about actually a promise that God made to the serpent. And it's one of those stories that if we miss the nuance at the beginning, then we miss the entire story. You know, NASA kind of says the same thing, that when you launch a rocket, if you're off at launch, you're going to miss your goal by billions of miles. And we want to make sure that we don't miss our goal. So let's go back and look at the conversation. What happened in the garden? It was the Garden of Eden. It was perfection. It was, it was utopic. It was heaven. It was, it was amazing. And God gives this command in Genesis 2.16, and I encourage you to take the time this week to, to read through this entire account. And God says, listen, you may freely eat of the fruit of every tree in the garden. There are hundreds of thousands, there are just lots of trees, you're not going to go hungry. He says, you can eat of every fruit of every tree in the garden except one tree. And what's the one tree they want? the one he said they couldn't have. Because that's our human nature. Sometimes we don't want something until we're told we can't have it, then we want it. And God doesn't give them any particular reason of what's going to happen. He just says, don't do it for surely you will die. And that was not enough for Adam and Eve. They wanted to know why. And God said, it just is, but it wasn't enough. And the truth is, we all want to know why when we're denied something. Now, for some of us who asked our parents or we had children who asked us, and they said, hey, mom, dad, can I have this? And you said, no. And they would say, why? What's the classic response? Because. Because. Right? Somebody in the first service said, because I said so. That's a lot. My dad just said, because. Why? Because. Well, that's not enough. We want to know why. Inquisitive minds want to know. It drives us crazy if we don't know the reason why. Now, for those of us who have been around for a few years longer, how many remember in the grocery store passing by the magazine rack and seeing the National Enquirer? You guys remember that? And they had the craziest headlines with the most unbelievable things, and it sold out every week. And their slogan was, inquiring minds want to know. More like nosy minds want to know. 
We wanted to know what was happening in everybody's business. Now, in chapter 3 of the verse, we looked at 2, but in chapter 3, the first giant, the first extreme promise from God is given. And it's about how Satan and sin would ultimately be defeated. Now, when I read this, I want you to to perk up a little bit and, and hear some words, some contractions and adjectives that maybe you didn't pay attention to the first time or two around when you were reading this. But listen to it carefully and watch what God says about his promise. Speaking to the serpent, he said, I will put enmity or conflict between you, the serpent, and the woman. Everybody got that? So the conflict would be between the serpent and the woman. And between your seed, talking to the serpent, he said, I will put enmity between your seed and her seed. Hmm. And then it says, and he, the offspring that's produced from that seed, will bruise you, the serpent, on the head. And you shall bruise him, the seed of the woman, on the heel. Now, a few weeks ago, I showed you a constellation called Scorpio. And if you remember, there was a messianic figure standing, and there was a scorpion underneath it, and the tail of the scorpion was trying to strike the heel of the man, but the man would ultimately crush his head. That was a promise that God gave back in Genesis 3.15, and we're going to look at that one again on Tuesday night. Now, this is an extreme promise if you read the language of the text carefully, because God was speaking to the serpent about a future battle between his seed and the seed of the woman. Now, I'm not a doctor. I am not an expert on human reproduction, but I know one thing. It takes a contribution from a mommy and from a daddy to make a baby. Wow, come on, that was your moment there, right? It takes a contribution from a mommy and a daddy to make a baby. Yet in this prophecy, God says to the woman, your seed, without any intervention of any humankind, your seed is going to produce an offspring. That's an extreme promise, because last time I checked, a woman cannot produce seed on her own. In order for that to happen, guys, that is an extreme promise. Would you agree? Well, there's actually a term for that. So the implication is that one day a virgin will bring forth a son and that son will destroy the enemy. The prophecy of the virgin birth was given back in Genesis 3.15. The process is called parthenogenesis and it literally means to procreate without fertilization. Guys, that's an extreme promise. And I'm sure everyone who was involved in that story, Adam and even the serpent, were like, What? Her what's going to do what without what? There must have been confusion because I said, how is this possible? It's not. It's impossible. There's no way this can happen unless you're God. Because remember the quote from earlier, promises are only as strong as the person who gives them. And if God gives the promise, no matter how extreme it seems to you at the time, if he said he's going to do it, guess what? He's going to do it. Anybody here believe that? Well, Isaiah picks up on this in chapter 7, verse 14. And he's talking about this prophecy, and he says, look, all right then, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The Lord will give you a sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child, and she will give birth to a son, 
And you will call him Emmanuel because it means God is with us. Isaiah understood the impossibility of the prophecy, yet he declared it anyways, knowing that God was able to keep his word. And not only today, but even in the time of Jesus, people were wondering, is God able to do what he said he's going to do? In Matthew 19, 26, speaking of an impossible situation, he said, humanly speaking, it's impossible, but with God, everything is impossible. Come on, everything is what? It doesn't say that. It says everything is possible. And the promise that God gave was to repair the damage that mankind had produced because of disobedience. And the rest of the Bible is God's desire to restore that relationship. His response to the disobedience of humanity is the Messiah. And the Messiah is Jesus. The story that unfolds in the rest of the Bible, it's demonstrating for us how God is faithful and able to fulfill every promise. But sometimes it doesn't happen when we want it to. Sometimes it takes a little longer. That's why we have plan B. That's why I have the little, we have the little stash on the side, just in, just in case he doesn't come through. And so although his timelines aren't always our timelines, what we learn is that he's trustworthy. He will come through, and when he does, it'll be at just the right time. And so God shares this promise with a man named Abraham. And when he first shared the promise, his name was Abram. His name was changed later. And when Abram was 75 years old, God called him to start his ministry. Some of you who are 75 plus in this room are saying, I'm looking forward to retiring. I worked hard all my life. I just want to enjoy. I want to travel. I'm going to watch less TV and read more books. At 75, God says, I want you to follow me. I want you to leave your mother and father. I want you to leave the land that you know. I want you to leave the livelihood, and I want you to go to a land I will show you. And Abraham said, okay, where's the land? And God said, it's over there. Where? Just that way. Just walk, and I'll show you as you go. As you trust me, I will lead you and direct you. How's that for for direction? Where's the promised land? It's over there-ish. Abraham says, okay. He leaves everything, he gets up and he goes, and it would take 10 years from 75 to 85, but God made him a promise. And he says in Genesis 15, 5, 15, yeah, 5, he says that he took Abraham outside. And he says, Abraham, look up at the sky and count the stars if you can. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. This was an extreme promise to an 85-year-old man who didn't have any children. And then it would be another 15 years from 85 to 100 where God reminds him again, I will make you a great nation and you will bear a child. And so a 100-year-old man and a 90-year-old barren woman believe the extreme promise that God has made. Now, I've got to wonder, when God first gave Abraham the promise, I'm going to make you a great nation, and your seed will be as much as the stars in the sky. And Abraham said, that sounds really good, but how will this happen? I don't even have a child. 
Now, I wonder how many of us would be able to wait 25 years for the promise to come to fulfillment. Can I be honest with you? And you could ask my family this. I'm a pretty impatient guy when it comes to certain things. For some things, I'm very patient, like for giving a gift. Like, I got the gifts for the family already, and I want to give it to them after the service today. But I've got to wait to December 25th. Some things, I, I just, I don't like to wait. 25 years? I wouldn't make it 25 days. Even 25 hours would be pushing it for me. And there's some of you in this room who, when you're given a promise, or you're given a word, you want to see it fulfilled right away. But he waits 25 years, and you think, wow, that's a huge amount of time. That's nothing. That's nothing. Look at this next extreme promise. God gave it to a nation. He gave it to a people called Israel, and it took almost 2,000 years for the promise to come to pass. How many times, I wonder, would we lose sight of the promise? Because the more time passed on, the least likely it seemed that God was going to do it. But when he did it, he did it quickly. See, the Bible says that he took his promise from a man, and now he entrusts it to a nation. That nation is Israel, and Israel was the next step in God's plan in bringing redemption and salvation to the world. Now, this isn't a political statement. I'm not talking about modern times. I'm talking about a promise that God made to a people. So it's not a political statement. It's a biblical one. This is what God said he would do. And when you stop and think about it, it is an extreme promise. Because here's a people whose land was gone for 2,000 years. Their language was eliminated. They were scattered all around the earth. And God gives them a two-part promise. The first, he says, is I'm going to make you a light to the nations. And they must have thought, how can we be a light? We don't even have land. We have nothing. How are we going to be a light? And look at what God says in Isaiah 49. Chapter 49, verse 6. He said, is it too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel that I have kept? And he says, Israel, I will make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. God chose a people to use them to bring his light to the ends of the earth, to all the nations of the earth. Why did he choose Israel? Are they better than any other country? Does he love Israel? No. God chose them because of the faithfulness of Abraham, and they were the descendants of Abraham, and God said, through your descendants, you will be a blessing to the earth. And so they're called to bring this great light to the nations. In in chapter 4 of Matthew, in verse 16, it's a direct quote of Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. And it says that the people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. God promised, he said, one day through this nation, because of the obedience of Abraham, because of what I said to Eve, what I said to the serpent, through that line, I will send a light to the nations, and it will come physically from the land of Israel. And if you go back and do some history, it doesn't take long to realize that 2,000 years ago, a child was born in the province of Judea in ancient Israel 
a small Jewish city. And look at what John says about that birth. He says, the word gave life to everything. He says that this word, this Messiah, this Savior was with God. He was with God. He existed in the beginning with everything. He created everything. But this word gave life to everything. And his life brought light to everyone. And this light, the Savior who comes from Israel, shines in the darkness. And the darkness cannot overcome it. God promised an ancient people that he would use them to bring salvation to the earth, and God did it. But then he took it one step further. Not only will I make you a light to the nations, but in fact, I will bring you back. I'm going to scatter you because of your disobedience, but I'm going to bring you back. And when God says, when I bring you back, that will be a sign to the people of God's ability to keep his promises. Isaiah Chapter 66, verse 8, picks up on this promise, and he says, how can this happen? The the people have been scattered. The nation has been occupied by Romans and Byzantines and Ottomans. It's been occupied for all this time. How can this nation ever come back? And he says, can a country be born in a day? Or can a nation be brought forth in a moment? Yet no sooner is Zion in labor than she gives birth to her children. A few years ago, I, I did a documentary, and we were talking about Israel in it, and I actually licensed from the state the original footage of when the first prime minister stood up and declared the state of Israel. I don't know if he knew what he was saying when he said it, but 2,000 years of prophecy was being fulfilled. Watch the short clip. <laughs> With those words, a 2,000-year-old promise came to pass. If God kept his promise to Eve, if God kept his promise to Abraham, if God kept his promises to Israel, guess what? God will keep his promises to you. Come on. I want to just wrap up these thoughts with this second and final point this morning, and it's this. We said that God will make extreme promises, but God will keep his extreme promise to you. And I'm looking at every person in this room. He's making that promise to you. Sometimes we see God do things for other people, and we say, God, that's great, but what about me? Today, be reminded. Today, be encouraged that if he makes a promise, he's going to keep it to the end. You see, Adam and Eve messed up. Abraham messed up. Israel messed up. We mess up. But God never does. And it says in 2 Timothy 2.13, even if we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot disown himself. If he says he's going to do it, friends, he's going to do it. Can we stand together? I'm going to read one more scripture over you. Remind you again of the three statements 
of this series, and then we're going to worship this God who keeps his promises. The answer may not come right away. It may not come in the form or shape or way that we want it to, but it's coming. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. They are yes and amen in Christ. And he does it because he loves us on purpose. He's with us always. And he keeps every promise that he makes because promises are only as strong as the person who gives them. And our God is strong. Our God is stronger. And whatever he said he will do, he will do. Amen? Amen. Let's worship.